Vicki, will you come pray for us? May we bow our heads in prayer. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We thank you, Lord, that we have this opportunity to gather together, for we know that wherever two or more are gathered in your name, you are there also. We lift up to you today those that were in the path of the hurricane, those that have uh, suffered loss of family members, loss of homes, loss of businesses. We ask you to be with them, to be with those that are volunteering to go down to those areas to help them. And we ask that you be with those members who have family members who are sick or going through treatments. And we thank you for our teacher, Phil, and for the message he will bring to us today. And we ask that you be with us as we go through this week to be a light of your love to shine for others. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay. Good morning. Good to be back with you. Um, as always, I appreciate Dave filling in for me last week. I was playing hooky again last week. Um, like I say, I always feel like I have to explain myself. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm the child who has to tell their parents like. Well, where were you last night? <laughs> um, how come you weren't here last Sunday? You didn't have permission to be gone. Um, what well, was a good reason to be gone? And I do want to share it with you. Um, last Saturday evening, our oldest son, Peter, who many of you know, some of you remember Peter when he was just a wee lad. Now he's not such a wee lad. Um, he proposed to a young woman, um, and he actually told us ahead of time he was going to do it, which kind of shocked us. I just expected someday to get a phone call. It's like, oh, by the way, we got engaged. Um, but he said, he called me two or three weeks ahead of time, said, this is the night I'm going to do it. We're going to have a party afterwards, and we want you to be there for it. And so, uh, and also, would you make all the food? <laughs> No. <laughs> no. Actually, that was nice of him to trust us with that. So uh, it was a. So that was where we were last um, last Saturday. She was surprised. She had no idea. Uh, she thought they were just going out to celebrate their two-year anniversary of dating. And she thought during the evening, this seems a lot more elaborate than what I was expecting. 
he's really setting the bar high. And uh, then he popped the question and he came back to his house and there were about 40 people in his house waiting for them. And so we, uh, we partied into the wee hours of the morning in Greenville, South Carolina. So that's where um, I'm not stout enough to sort of get back in time for Sunday school after that. So um, Did she accept? She did say yes. Um, and uh, we did technology these days. I mean, Peter's friends, you have the, there's an app on your phone where you can allow your friends to know where you are, which is really kind of creepy. Um, it might not be a bad thing if your children know, like, you know, if you get on in years and like, in case I get lost, my children will know where I am. So I mean, there's some, there's some social utility to that. Um, but he allows his, he shares a, a, he rents a house with a good friend of his and he let his friend Palmer know where he is. And so we knew exactly, he was proposing on a, a Sassafras Mountain outside of Greenville, about an hour outside of Greenville, one of their favorite places to go at sunset. And so we knew exactly when they were leaving on their way back. We knew when he was five minutes, he didn't have to tell us. Um, but he did text us, I mean, because we did want to know, like, did she say yes? Because if not, we had to put the house back together and get rid of all the food <laughs> in a very, yeah, get out of town. So, um, how old is he? How old is he? He just turned 26 in August. Yeah. Yeah. Some of you know he was born two days before we moved to Johnson City. Uh, he was born in Durham, North Carolina, uh, two days before we moved here. So it's always easy for, for me to remember how old he is because it's how long we've been here. Um, so that's, an, that's a story for another day. Even easier for your wife. Yes, very easy for my wife to remember how old. That was quite a week. Couple other things, announcement-wise. Um, if you checked your email, you should have gotten an email from me midweek inviting you to an ice cream social on Saturday night, this coming Saturday night, October the 20th, at the home of the Browns, right? You know the Browns, right? Uh, Brad Brown, as you know, um, grew up here in this church and uh, leads an organization called Freedom Global, uh, which works uh, in Kenya. Uh, we've, a lot of you here support the school. And um, <clears throat> Freedom Global is sending uh, one of their staff members to the Tri-Cities to meet with us. It's the person that does sort of social entrepreneurship in the area. They're, they're working really hard to try to get uh, the school uh, to be more and more financially self-sustaining. And so um, have a young uh, uh, Kenyan entrepreneur, his name's Kevin Kelvin, uh, Kevin Kelvin uh, Masio, and he'll, he'll be in town, and he's gonna be in Bristol Sunday morning, otherwise he might be in the Sunday school class, but he's gonna be in Bristol Sunday morning. Um, but the Browns are hosting uh, an ice cream social for anyone who'd like to come and hear Kelvin talk about um, the dairy farm and other things that they've got going that uh, 
are sort of small businesses that are trying to uh, feed financially into support of the school. And so um, the email that I sent you, if you click on the link, it opens up a reservation form, gives you all the information about how to get to the Browns. It's 6.30 to 8 p.m. next Saturday evening, uh, the 20th. And uh, they would be delighted to have as many of you who'd like to come out and have some ice cream, meet Kelvin, and hear a little bit more about Freedom Global. So I just wanted to, uh, I've been in contact with Brad this week to make sure that um, I got the word out. So they'll have, um, yeah, so I hope, I hope if you can, next Saturday evening you'll be, you'll be there. Any questions about that? Okay. Last announcement. Um, Linda always keeps me informed. Um, so she gave me, I didn't read the paper yesterday, but if I had, um, there, there was a, you know, the Community Voices column, uh, and the editorial pages, there was a, there was a, a column by Charles Moore about uh, food deserts. And so um, a number of you mentioned you never heard the term food desert. And the week we talked about it, there was a front page story about it. And now there's editorials, and it's just everywhere. So that's, that's sometimes just, just to remind ourselves that uh, some of the things we're talking about are continue to be real issues here. Right? You don't have to uh, go to somewhere else to find a food desert. So we're in the social principles. Um, we are. I do want to say we are going to be. Um, beginning, we're going to finish up the second section today. There are six sections. That means we have four left. We're going to be moving more quickly um, so that we can at least get done, um, you know, by St. Patrick's Day. Um, Which year? Yeah, 2020. No, no. We're, we do have a few more weeks, but we are going to be moving more quickly. We're gonna, we, we can't, of course cover everything, and we're not going to try to. If nothing else, we're, we're really hoping to do two things. One is to let you know there are such a thing called the social principles of the United Methodist Church, uh, which a lot of us didn't know. And uh, Walt wanted us to know that. And um, so we're trying to honor his, his wishes. And uh, so at least whatever you've made of them, or whatever we make of them by the time we're done, um, at least we'll know they're there. And, and they, they, the reason they matter um, is because they are an attempt, a, a risky attempt. Um, Patty Muse was using the passage for, from Matthew 25 today uh, in, in the sermon talking about the, the parable of the talents, uh, which really is about risk. Right? It's about not playing it safe. You know, the, the third servant who's given the one talent buries it because he's afraid and won't take a risk. And Patty reminded us that we have this freedom from fear in the body of Christ to take risks for what God's about in the world. And what God's about, what we're being called to be about, is to love God and love our neighbors. And loving your neighbor sometimes is risky trying to figure out what, what's it mean to love my neighbor? What's it mean for us as Muncie to love our neighbors? 
So that's why we care about the social principles, not because there are another text that's, you know, um, it's not on a par with scripture. It's just trying it. It's United Methodists trying their best, broken as frail as we all are, to try to offer the church some guidance about what specifically does it mean to love God and love neighbor in our world today? In very concrete ways. Everything from you know, caring about food deserts to today, wrestling with um, suicide is one of the things that comes up uh, towards the end of the second section, right? Uh, these are everyday things, and it's risky. It's risky. It would just be easier to, to keep it really abstract and say, just go love your neighbor today, and you, you figure that out, whatever you think loving your neighbor is. And at the end of the day, we do have to decide what it is going to mean. Um, but, but we're looking at these texts just to at least familiarize ourselves with what the United Methodist Church has gone on record as trying to say, here's what we think today loving our neighbor might require of us. Right? We could be wrong. Right? We could be wrong. It would be, it would be, it takes a great deal of humility. Um, no doubt we are wrong. Let's just put it that way. I mean, unless we think we're the first Christians in history to get it all right, then we no doubt have got some of it wrong. Right? And so that, that should call all, us, all of us to some level of humility. There are things we don't have right yet. There are things, there are ways of loving our neighbor that we don't have right yet. And that means we have to keep risking. And we'll, we'll get it wrong sometimes. We will. And by the grace of God, there can be forgiveness in that. But I think what we don't have the luxury of do, doing is just sitting back and playing it safe. Um, we're called to bear witness to God's love and God's character in the world. And, and we have to wrestle with it together. And so today I, I kind of... I kind of want to step back and look, look back and look forward. Um, I want to acknowledge um, that there's a lot of anxiety about a lot of this. Um, there's a lot of fear around this, around talking about, you know, it, it's, it's not easy. And um, at one level, no one will be happier to get past the social principles and get on to something safer to talk about than me. Okay. Uh, I know there's a, whatever anxiety you have, and I know for a lot of you it's, it's real, and I don't want to minimize it at all. Whatever anxiety or fear you may have each week when you come Sunday morning, like, what are we going to talk about today? Um, you, you, you might imagine that I have some of that too. Like, what are we going to talk about today? And who am I going to upset today? And, yeah, I mean, 
So we're in this together, and here's what keeps me going, and here's what I hope will keep us going for the next few weeks as we finish. So I just want to kind of remind us what we're doing and why we think we can do it and why we think it's better to do it than not do it. What keeps me going is one of the paragraphs in this section. It's on page 26. And it's in the second full paragraph under culture and identity and it's this very simple first sentence. We believe that our primary identity is as children of God. Okay? We believe that our primary identity is as children of God. If you don't hear anything else today, if you don't take anything else home from today, if you don't take anything else from the social principles for all these weeks, take that. Take that. Which isn't new. It's not new. But God help us. Every day, there are challenges that try, there are all kinds of voices trying to tell us that our identity is something other than that. Now the paragraph goes on to say that of course we have other identities. But this, the important word is our primary identity. That's no small thing. It's a fundamental challenge for me every day to wake up and try to be faithful to that truth. That my primary identity my primary identity is as a child of God. Those of you who are in the journey service, I know it's not a lot of you, but some of you were. Um, last song we sang today, right? I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. That's the chorus, right? I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. That's enormously liberating. Particularly when, again, there are all these voices every day that would encourage me to think that my primary identity is somewhere else. And that my identity as a child of God my identity as your brother and sister in Christ, my identity as being part of the body of Christ, um, that all of that is sort of down the, down the line somewhere, right? It's in addition to these other. And it's qualified by these other identities. No, it goes the other way around. Right? If I really am and that's a big if. If I really am following the way of Jesus, if I really am a disciple of Jesus, if I really am and becoming who God's called us to be, then that's our primary identity. Right? 
That means it qualifies and frames all my other identities. Whatever it means for me to be a husband, a father, a teacher, a neighbor, an American, go down the line. Whatever it means to be all of those is framed by, qualify what it means to be a child of God. That's what makes it possible, and, and I believe that. And I believe you believe that. And that's why I can walk in this door every Sunday morning and risk doing what we're doing. Because I believe that you believe that our primary identity is as children of God. And even though those other identities, we're told, might put us in tension with each other, that those are relativized. Those are not as important as this thing, this identity. Because this identity endures. Okay? This identity endures. Um, I'm proud to be a father. Right? I'm proud uh, to be a teacher. Uh, I'm proud to be a citizen of this nation. Those things will pass away. All of them. Right? Um, but being a child of God is not going to pass away. That's why it's our primary identity. It's rooted in God, not in us. And so, and I feel that particular urgency to remind us of this as, I mean, you don't need me to remind you of the sort of wider cultural divisiveness. And and we'd be naive to think that that doesn't spill into this space. We don't just leave all that out in the parking lot when we walk into this space on Sunday morning. And I know part of the fear and anxiety is because it's hard for that not to color everything we say in here. The kind of tension and anxiety that we have about that. And it's not going to get any easier between now and the first week in November. As, and whatever happens the first week in November, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be probably worse after that. And it seems to me one of the great gifts that the church has to give our nation and the world is some clarity about like where our primary loyalty and allegiance is. <laughs> that makes it possible for us to be in a room, to honor each other, to respect each other, to love each other, even though we know, I mean, no one's naive enough in here to think all of our politics line up. <laughs> I don't care. Right? And not because those things don't matter. They do matter. <coughs> but they don't matter as much as this truth. But that's not what we're hearing. Right? What we're hearing is, if you don't agree with me about this, then I get to demonize you, dehumanize you, make you, you're stupid, you're, and, and 
and neither side has a corner on this. Everybody's doing it. And it's toxic, right? It's toxic. Um, and there's nothing about that that Christians can be happy about. I don't care if you're winning or not. You're not winning. If we had eyes to see, this is we're all losing in this. Okay. And, and the, the church has to do better. And again, we could stick our heads in this hand and say we shouldn't be talking about this, but I mean, families are being pulled apart, neighborhoods are being pulled apart, churches are being pulled apart because we can't talk about it. And so we have to talk about it. And so please, I mean, let's let's see if we can. It's gonna yeah, I, I don't have any idea. I don't have any idea. Um, I'm not naive enough. I mean, the situation we find ourselves in a nation has been in the making for a long time. Right? Decades. So, we didn't wake up yesterday morning and find ourselves in this position. And so, it's going to be hard. Um, but what we're trying to say is, what I'm trying to say is, part of the good news is and part of what the church has to offer the world in our witness is again this very concrete thing about what it means to love your neighbor. <laughs> right? Uh, particularly when your neighbor doesn't think like you, doesn't think like me, doesn't vote like you, doesn't vote like me. <laughs> I mean, at one level, I mean, again, it's so easy to miss this. At one level, what we do each week, just by gathering as the people of God in this space, knowing, even though we don't make a big deal of it, knowing that we're all over the map. There are Republicans, there's Democrats, there's Libertarians, there's Independents, there's who knows, because we don't ask, we don't wear like a tag, right? But we all know that's there. But the fact that we gather each week and we try to get our vision straight about who we are, about something that's bigger than that? That's a miracle. That's no small thing. I mean, something is at work here that's beautiful, and it's easy to miss. I don't want us to miss that. And that's what gives me the confidence that I trust you to talk about these things and to wrestle with these things even when we will, even maybe especially when we don't have a clear answer, right? Because we understand the, the larger picture of who we are. Okay. So that's what's been on my heart this week. Um, that I just want to kind of remind us what what we're about, because um, there's just too many voices every day that offer a vision of who I should think of myself and it's just too puny. It's just too puny. Um, I mean, again, I love this country, but you know what? And it's hard to say this, it's hard to imagine this, but we should imagine this. There's going to come a day when the United States will no longer exist. Right? There is no, there is no society 
mean, in the last 2,000 years that has endured. They have all collapsed. There's no enduring for the last 2,000 years that has lasted 2,000 years. None. Zero. Nada. Zip. Okay? So I don't know. The United States might last another 200 years. It might last 500 years. It might last 50 years. I do not know and neither do you. That is not where my hope is. Does that mean I don't care about it? No. I have to care about it. But it's not my ultimate hope. And I hope it's not yours either. So at some point we have to get clear about that. <laughs> have to get clear about that. And so, yeah, thank you for, not that you had any choice. <laughs> so let's say a couple things um, about other things. I mean, there's a lot in here we haven't talked about um, in the second section. It's a long, when we could spend a lot of time on, but we're not. Um, so the second section deals with you know, the nurturing community, which has a lot to do with family life and interrelationships. And so um, it talks about marriage and divorce and sexuality and different kinds of abuse, right? Family violence and abuse. Um, and you might think, well, why do United Methodists kind of talk about family violence and abuse? And one of the things I appreciate about the, the United Methodist social principles is that it always tries to draw our attention, first of all, to, to our own house. Right? The old saying, you ought to get your own house in order before you worry about somebody else's house. And, and you probably know this, but if you don't, it's a staggering and sobering statistic, and that is um, domestic abuse uh, in the United States is as prevalent in Christian households as it is in any others. And that's staggering. And talk about things we don't talk about. Domestic abuse, spousal abuse, child abuse is as prevalent in Christian households as it is in others. So the idea that we might be immune to this or that we care about it just because there's those other people out there who have this challenge, it's not the case. And so there's a conversation we ought to be having, you know, in-house, right, in-house. How, how do we deal with domestic abuse in our own homes? Those are, those are pretty near neighbors. And, and uh, admittedly, some of the hardest people to love in our lives are our very near neighbors, the people who live in our homes. It's a lot easier for me to love the stranger than it is for me to love um, somebody in my own household on certain days. And I'm sure they would say the same. Like, Look at me like, you are hard to love. It's like, amen, I, I, I believe that. So there, I mean, there's just a paragraph in here that could easily get lost. You know, because you think, well, that's about somebody else, but it's not about somebody else. As I mentioned, um, this whole issue around suicide, um, something else we don't talk about. But as 
most of you are aware, it's, it's, it's a health crisis in the United States. Um, a lot of you probably know that between the, for, for the demographic of age 10 to age 34 in the United States, the second leading cause of death is suicide. Only behind accidents. Okay? Ages 10 to 34. Second leading cause of death. About 40, I mean, most recent statistics we have is 2016. It's 45,000 people. Okay? 45,000 people. Twice the number of homicides in the United States. Right? Okay? Twice the number of homicides are people taking their own life. Um, I have a good colleague at another college who, yeah, I mean, the, the intensity, a uh, young man, yeah, took his life on their campus on Friday morning, hung himself outside his dorm room, right? Um, and just the, the unspeakable brokenness that that young man must have felt, the despair that he must have felt. And obviously this is connected with all kinds of mental health issues and how do we talk about mental health? It's something that we have a hard time talking about. Um, still a stigma around mental health. And you know, most statistics show that only about 50% of the people who commit suicide were known to have mental health issues. <laughs> But usually after some questions are asked, usually it ends up being that like 40 or 45 percent of those just had undiagnosed, I mean unrecognized, untreated mental health issues. These are our neighbors, right? They're, they're in our homes, they're in our churches, and this is something we need to talk about and wrestle with it. How do we love our neighbors who, even if they look, I mean, this is part of like, how do you get to know your neighbors, people? You can't know everybody, right? But we hope that everyone has a circle of friends such that somebody knows when you're in trouble. Right? I think that's all, all, all of us want to know. And it's, 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 yeah, all of you probably have someone near to you who you've lost through suicide. And you know the devastation it is for the family, for you, if you were in the family, uh, the guilt, the shame, the stigma, all of that. Um, it, it's horrible. It's something that we have to talk about. It is part of loving our neighbor. Um, how, do we, how do we know our neighbors well enough to know when they're in trouble? to know that they need help and to be there when we can and to help them get the help they need. The other thing this chapter brings up is another one of those, you know, 
hot button social issues um, as a, a long section around around abortion and the care for those who have gone through abortion and how do United Methodists think about loving our neighbors there and one of the things I appreciate about the social principles is that they've tried to be clear about the sort of tension um, that, that exists and not like the extremes. I mean, what, what I appreciate about them is that um, often when this is talked about um, in our nation, it makes it sound like there's two polar opposite positions. Whereas most of you know that most of the polling shows that 60 to 7% of, of Americans are actually in the middle somewhere. And yet we hear about, you know, the loudest voices are on, on the edges. Um, but there's, there's real seriousness here. I mean, the, I mean, for example, the United Methodist Church goes on record as saying, you know, abortion cannot, is not an acceptable form of birth control. Right? And they're very stringent about that. Abortion can't be used for uh, selective eugenics, in other words, right? Um, and they can't be used for that. Um, it's a very strong statement. Um, and yet, they also want to acknowledge the tragedy that there, there may be times when it's the best, worst choice. Right, that no one embraces it as a good. And again, the, these are difficult matters. These are difficult matters. Um, one of the good things that we can be grateful for is, is the number of abortions in the United States has been dropping um, since 84, actually. <laughs> gone down pretty much every year since 84. It's still way, way, way too many. And I think most people agree about that, actually. And that's one of those places where you, you might forget that we all agree about that for the most part. Um, I don't know of anybody who wants there to be more abortions next year than there was this year. Okay. Um, and so, yes. We still try, but trying to figure out how, how do we love our, our neighbor, the young woman who thinks the only option she has is abortion, the only real option she has. How do, how do we love that young woman? Um, and, there's, there's a, and there's some wisdom in the social principles about that, right? Uh, and talks about what the church ought to be doing to support such people to make it feel like it might be, that there might be other options. And so, again, I'm not saying that the United Methodist Social Principles has this exactly right or has it exactly the way that you would put it, but I, I am grateful that they've taken the risk to try to say, might we agree to these things, that we want to see fewer abortions, we want to see those who've gone through abortions be supported. And we want to be a community that is 
that loves our neighbors as ourselves in a way that would make the need for abortion less necessary. But that seems like that, that we could agree on that. Right, that that's, um, again, might there be places where we would disagree? Yes, there might be. Um, but it's, it's easy. I mean, at some point, at some point we'll have to have our perspective renewed that to, to realize that more times than not, there's a whole lot more that we agree about than we disagree about. And how, how do we honor that? How do we celebrate that? And continue to work on the places that we struggle, right? Um, but try to, try to understand each other when we disagree. That's what we've tried most of all, right? We've, we've not said any, from day one in here, we've not tried to say that we're all gonna try to agree by the time that we're done. But we did ask, could we try to understand each other uh, when we disagree? Can, can we understand and honor that person? Because if I think you're a child of God and I believe that you're trying to love God and love your neighbor and what we disagree about is how to do that best, that's okay. That's an inter-family squabble. Right? Um, just because you disagree about how best to love your neighbor doesn't mean I kick you out of the family. No, we're trying to figure out how to do that. And Christians have been trying to figure that out for 2,000 years, and we still haven't got it all right. So we're going to fail at it. And that may mean I need you to tell me where I'm wrong. And I have to be open to that. I do. Because again, unless I'm incredibly arrogant and think that I've got it all straightened out, then I don't. I'm going to be wrong about some things. And you might be too. It's possible. It's highly likely. Right? But this is part of our story. This is part of our story. Right? This should not surprise us. And it shouldn't discourage us. Right? This is why the Spirit has been sent to give us wisdom. We believe that when... God gathers us, the Spirit is among us, and helps us discern. Uh, we have to do that. We can't be afraid to do that. So I appreciate your patience. Uh, I appreciate your goodwill. And I appreciate you continuing to come and believing the best in each other. As far as that each one of us is trying the best we can to follow the way of Jesus and to love God and love our neighbor knowing that we're not always going to get it right. But we still keep trying, and we still keep encouraging each other to do, to do better, not so God will love us more, but so that our witness to the world might more faithfully portray the God we worship and serve. Let's pray. We give you thanks, O oh God, that most of all, you have called us and made us your children through Christ. We have not deserved to be part of this family, um, but you have made us one family. And so I pray as we continue to gather and wrestle with difficult matters, 
that we would see each other as brothers and sisters. Um, not a family we chose, but a family that you've made. Pray that we believe the best in each other, that we would see the light of God in each other and seek to honor that as a way of honoring you. So continue to be with us as we wrestle and struggle and pray that through it all, you might make us a more faithful witness to your desires for all of creation. We pray this through our elder brother, Jesus Christ. Thanks, Phil. Guests.